What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Ball and the Real World. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, and I keep saying this every episode we have now is a week closer to basketball NBA training camps uh, happening this weekend. Media days around the league and the NBL is starting to fire up as well. From the last time we spoke, there's been more signings. We're going to talk about that and season tip-off. And uh, really, there's no better man to speak to about everything NBL than the commissioner, Jeremy Loliga. And uh, Jeremy, we were just talking about it. It is a public holiday as we're recording this in Melbourne, but there's uh, there's not much else to do. I still appreciate you uh, jumping on with me and giving me some time. No, absolute pleasure. It's, uh, it's great to speak to you again. Uh, I think the last time we spoke, we were in pretty unusual circumstances and there's still pretty unusual circumstances. And uh, a bit like you, I can't wait for there to be some basketball <laughs> to, uh, to tune in and watch again. I don't really care where it is. I'm looking forward to it being here in Australia, but I'll take whatever I can get at this rate. Yeah, I... It's interesting. I was thinking about this just before we started this call. So I was fortunate enough to be working uh, the NBA uh, Grand Final Series this year. And it, it's hard to believe it was only a few months ago. It wasn't a full crowd. Um, but living in Melbourne, any type of crowd just feels surreal at this point. So to have the 5,000 people in that arena, I guess I should just start by saying congratulations for getting the season done. Because again, it was a, it was a rocky one. Yeah, it was a rocky one. And thanks, it felt like a full crowd, whether it was because yeah. the 5,000 people that were there were noisy because they hadn't seen a huge amount of live sport in recent times or whether it was just because we were used to playing in stadiums that were uh, were much less full than that during the course of the season. But it was a rocky season, but we're pretty glad to get through it. And, and well, not just glad to get through it, but glad to have got through it with only having played a handful of games without crowds. I think it was five or six come the end of the season. And not only to have played the whole schedule, but we played 36 games more than we had the year prior um, because of the NBL Cup. Uh, so it was a pretty proud moment when we wrapped that season up. I thought coming into this season that things would be a little bit easier. They're continuing to be very, very challenging. Though. Yeah, I would say that you would 100% disagree with this, or maybe not 100%, but when you look at just the timing of the seasons um, in, in many ways, just from the way the paths have gone, it obviously was still problematic for the NBL, but you're able to get the season away. It does feel like this season might be the most challenging yet, which, which just feels unbelievable to even be saying that, but uh, hopefully things get underway. I think most people that I'm speaking to are, are suspecting that the November 18 start date is is looking like it's going to be difficult. How are we looking in terms of a season tip-off? Yeah, we're still scheduled officially to start on November 18, but you're certainly right. Um, given that we've always said our priority is, is our fans and allowing them to attend as many games in their home city as possible, it would be derelict of us not to continue to monitor and consider current circumstances and whether or not we push that date back a little further to allow restrictions to ease, to allow vaccination rates to continue to rise and therefore uh, be able to get more people into venues in more cities around the country. So officially still November 18, but you're 100% correct. There's certainly some murmur on the streets because of the fact that a lot of other codes are continuing to push back and, uh, and we're continuing to monitor the, the, um, the numbers on a day-by-day basis. You guys have, uh, along with basically all sports leagues, have been so good at, at understanding that things are going to change from time to time. Last year, obviously, it started after the new year, which which I, I'm, I'm guessing is not ideal and not what you want to do. But what sort of flexibility do, do we actually have this year in terms of pushing dates back um, and, and still trying to get a full season away? Yeah, we're trying to minimise disruptions to clubs and players as much as possible. And, you know, we, we play in a 
uh, a, a code that happens to be a global sport. And so a lot of our players come from overseas and are wanting to um, play basketball in other parts of the world. For example, you know, a significant cohort of players will want to be back to the US to be able to work out at, at NBA tryouts, combines, um, summer league. Uh, that and the fact that um, we've, we've had guys in training camp now for a little while already. You don't want to drag the season out too long. So we're in conversation literally on a daily basis with the Players Association um, and our operations team. And it, it's very challenging because as, as quickly as we try and update them, um, things change and that's that's the difficult situation is that there's a lot of people to keep in the loop and a lot of factors that are out of our control so we're very very keen still to um, keep it as close to normal as we can and I don't anticipate us pushing anywhere into the new year in terms of a start date we want to get these things started but we want to do it in a way that we can get people in and, and see their see their heroes play. So I want to get to some more fun stuff in it in a little bit. You did mention vaccination rates, though, and and I know that was kind of in reference to crowds, and we're all in the same boat. We all want to come and watch uh, the NBL this season. But we have seen it's been in the news mm. this week with players, and it's been fascinating to look at other leagues and the AFL, for instance, and the approach that they're taking. And, and I think that they do have somewhat of a benefit that their season is about to end you guys are, are going to be one of the first sort of major leagues in Australia that have to deal with this. So I'm just wondering when you see the announcement from the Hawks with Travis Trice, New Zealand breakers, obviously with, with Ty Webster and it comes to players making their decision here, which that, that is their decision, but the government is going to make it really, really difficult for them to be a part of this league just with the travel, which we hope happens. So looking at it from a league perspective, do you, do you need to put in a mandate for the players or do you feel that this is kind of out of your hands when it comes to vaccination because the rules are the rules from state to state? Yeah, we're not a policy maker and these are public policy issues. So that's probably the first point. It's not our intent to mandate vaccinations because as you say, the rules are the rules. And if we were trying to, if we were going to try and preempt that now, in all likelihood, the rules would change between right. now and when the season began. Um, and it would probably result in the same circumstances in many instances anyway. If we mandated that players had to be vaccinated, uh, you would probably see Ty and Travis have come, have come to a mutual release with their club anyway. So I think the natural order of things will sort of play out. And what we're trying to do is make sure that everyone has as much information as possible and is educated as much as possible, both about the consequences of taking or not taking the vaccination from a health perspective, um, but also in terms of the implications potentially on their career or their, their season, um, once the powers that be that are beyond our control step in and say, well, you can't cross into our state unless you've been vaccinated or you can't come into our venue unless you've been vaccinated or you can't come onto our aircraft unless you've been vaccinated. We just don't know what's going to happen in that space. And the best we can do is keep everyone as informed and up to date as we are uh, and then clubs and players have to make those decisions as between themselves and you've seen a couple of mutual releases as you've mentioned and I think they were exactly that they were mutual releases because coaches and clubs want certainty and they want to be able to structure up a team and have it functioning at, at full steam all season and players want to hoop you know so it doesn't really suit anyone's cause if um, players are going to be sitting at home unable to travel to various destinations and, and coaches are going to be without some of their star players so it's an unfortunate circumstance, but such is the nature of the, the pandemic. 
Yeah, so a part of that and a part of those decisions with a team like the Hawks, for instance, they get it's kind of late in the piece now and they'll try and find a, a replacement player come out, which we know is always a challenge. And we saw a similar situation with, uh, for different reasons, but we saw a similar situation with Southeast Melbourne. Uh, they had an injury to Hankins and I was talking to Tommy Greer on the show a couple of weeks ago and he said, well, we had a list of players that we wanted to, to come out here uh, to get uh, Joe Chi. I, I think, you know, you talk about turning a obviously a, a disappointing result into an awesome result, not only for that franchise, but for the league. Uh, this was this was world news. This was a big deal for the league and certainly for the Phoenix. Yeah, it really was. And you talk about turning a, a bad situation into a good situation. Yes, that was true for the team and the league. It was also true of, of Joe Chi and, yeah. um, and possibly the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, because he's a star of, of their Chinese national team. And they want him playing basketball, I would imagine, rather than sitting out the season because of contractual dispute. Um, which was a very real possibility at one point there. Um, he was, of course, playing in China the last uh, few seasons to uh, very great effect. And he's been an all-star perennially since returning back to China from the Houston Rockets. And, um, you know, they want him playing basketball at a high level. And uh, I think it was a great outcome for him in that he's going to come and get to test himself against uh, not only different players, but in a different style uh, of competition as well. Um, and of course, a huge outcome for for Australia um, and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. He's a fantastic guy, um, a tremendous player, and I can't wait to see uh, what he has to bring out on court. He isn't the only Chinese player to to come out here this season. But how, how do you quantify this? So the easiest way for us to look at it, and we can look at it from the outside, and we see the Phoenix, and they'll tweet out the. The, the social engagement and inter- interaction. And obviously it was huge. And we saw a, a similar effect in the, in the Asian market last year with Melbourne United and, and Barber as well. So, I mean, we know the love for basketball is great out that way. But for the league, again, why do you look at this in terms of moving into that Chinese market as, as such a big deal? Like, how do you quantify that? Yeah, look, it's not specific to China, I should add as well. So we, yeah. you mentioned with uh, the Joe Chi is not the only player coming out from China. We've got Xuan Xing Liu, who's joining the Brisbane Bullets, also uh, plays for the Chinese national team, also at the centre position. So we're going to have their, their one and two um, five men out here, which is pretty exciting. Seven foot five, I think the tallest player we've ever had in the <laughs> league here. Uh, lovely young gentleman as well. We've spoken often and uh, um, I think he'll find it a lot more challenging than Joe because he doesn't have quite the extent of English that, that Joe Chi has. Um, but then we've got Kai Soto at the uh, Adelaide 36ers as well. We've got a cast of really significant young European talent joining the Next Stars program. Um, so it's not about targeting China specifically. It's about making our product more relevant to more countries around the world and opening up new markets, just like the Next Stars did initially with North America. Obviously, when we signed Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton, that opened up a, uh, an entirely new segment of fan and viewer for us out of the US in particular, all around the world to some extent, but particularly the US. Uh, and this is just a continuation of that strategy. Um, and you have to op on, uh, um, act on the opportunities when they arise. And uh, we've had a really, really engaging cohort from parts of the world other than the US this year. And it was uh, fantastic to be able to, to get so many of them signed and into the country some of them yet to get into the country and, and Zhou Qi and, and Chongqing Liu still playing for their respective provincial teams in the Chinese national games, which I think are just about to kick off. So they actually won't arrive in Australia until early October. But 
I mean, the, those are the second and third biggest basketball economies in the world, in China and the Philippines. So they're really significant signings for us. And in terms of measuring, largely you look to earned media and how much coverage you're getting in those markets. We're still in the throes of negotiating a broadcast arrangements for live games into those markets. And obviously you've got the metrics around social media, which give you instantaneous feedback, but at the same time, the popular social media platforms in China are still relatively um, new to us. And so we're still, we're still finding our feet there. Platforms like Douyin, which is uh, the, the Chinese name for TikTok, um, and uh, another called Zaishu, which I hadn't heard of until very recently. Apparently, that's one of the real up-and-coming social media platforms as well. So we've got some learning to do if we're going to make <laughs> the most of the opportunity. So you mentioned the next stars, which was the perfect segue, really. I mean, this is just working beautifully. But I wanted to ask you about the next stars and specifically the different markets again, because you already spoke about the impact in America. And I was living over in America at the time. And, and previously, no one had asked me about the MBL. No one really had that much interest in it, certainly. But then it went to being at NBA games and people would ask mm -hmm. What's going on with the NPL? What's LaMelo Ball doing out there? Andrew Bogut was a huge part of that as well. Just really familiar names. And I think with LaMelo Ball, to me anyway, and obviously there was great interest in all demographics, but certainly the younger generation with social media, he was such a monster on those platforms that, that it, it really made a big deal of the league. So where do you think the next stars is at? Because that's like the, the, the top level when you get to exposure on a worldwide basis, but not everyone is going to be like that. But it seems to me anyway, that you guys believe and feel like the next stars program is, is trending in the direction you probably hoped it would. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, look, it, it's, um, it had a meteoric rise and certainly LaMelo Ball played a huge part in that. For the reason that you mentioned, he was already popular with a younger audience, but many people who had been around the game longer um or if i just say it like it is the older crowd were skeptical <laughs> because they thought he was a highlight reel and they right. didn't know whether or not he could fit into a professional structure and, and form part of a cohesive professional team and so bringing him to the nbl proved exactly that that he could form part of a, a team um, and as a result his stock rose very very quickly as did ours um, now, since then, you've seen uh, an NBA response through the introduction of the G League Ignite. Uh, you've seen name, image and likeness uh, remuneration being permitted by the NCAA. Uh, the introduction of uh, competition like Overtime Elite. So we're obviously doing something right because a lot of people responded and, and have implemented models that are similar in theory, but they are still very complementary my, from my point of view. And the different horses suit different courses. And I think the two most similar products are the um, G League Ignite program and NBL Next Stars. And whilst they're similar, they're still very, very different. They're targeted at the same sort of caliber of player and the same um, point at their career. But I think it's gonna suit two different types of personalities and two different types of athletes going forward in terms of the questions that they have to answer in the minds of NBA head coaches and GMs as to whether or not they're going to be able to take that next step. Um, so I think it's got a huge future ahead of it. We, in addition, though, to having the challenges of uh, competition, we've also had the considerable challenges of coronavirus and trying to 
have a discussion with a family over Zoom and maintain that sort of continuity of relationship uh, that is all part of the parcel of the transitioning a 17, 18 year old kid to the other side of the world to play professional basketball for the first time as their preparation for what will be the biggest point in their career when they enter the NBA draft. That's a huge conversation and it's a big deal to be able to forge that trust over a Zoom call. And particularly if you've never been to the country, particularly if you've never met those people face to face. So I think that's been a significant challenge this year and one that I'm looking forward to being overcome in the not too distant future when I can get back over to the States again or they can visit mm -hmm. Australia. And um, But we've bounced back in a big way in terms of the recruitment out of Europe this year. Uh, Tom Digber coming from France, but is eligible to play for both the French and Spanish national teams and really has his pick. Um, uh, Russian young gun Nikita Mikulovsky, who is, uh, I think, two-time uh, junior player of the year uh, in, in the competition he's been playing with. Um, Usman Dieng, probably the biggest name coming into next stars this year and will most likely be a lottery pick going to the New Zealand Breakers. Ariel Hakporti coming to Melbourne United, also a young gun. And, and I can tell you there are still a few more who are very keen to come over. And we're now getting to that inflection point where I don't think it'll be too long before you see every NBL team with a next star on its roster. So it's, we're a few seasons in here. And for me, when I hear that, it's, it's obviously exciting, first of all, for us that we get the opportunity to see these, these young talent here in Australia. But it, it does feel like it's been fueled by the fact that you had Lamelo Ball being a, a top uh, draft selection, Josh Giddy this season as well. RJ Hantham obviously went in the first round, so it feels like it might be simplifying it a little bit. But a lot of these kids that are going to come over from overseas have to believe that the NBL is becoming a genuine pathway to the NBA. Oh, I think we've demonstrated now it's a genuine pathway, both for next stars as well as. Um, those guys who perhaps went undrafted, came to the NBL for a couple of years and then shot off to, to start them in the NBA. And Tory Craig is a really good example of that, but not the first. Um, I mean, th there's now a, a history of guys like Scotty Wilberkin, James Ennis Jr., uh, Tory that I mentioned. Um, Terence Ferguson was the one who really got the ball rolling in respect of Next Star's program. But just in this last year, you saw guys like Jay Sean Tate, Cam Oliver transition to the NBA and have meaningful and immediate impact uh, and that transition transition back and forth from NBL to NBA is just going to become more and more consistent I believe and what it's done in the minds of these young up-and-comers is demonstrated to them that they're probably tuning in and watching more NBL content than they ever have before and they're realizing that right if I go over there and can make it in the NBL that's probably the best way for me to put my case forward to a GM or a head coach in the NBA that I'm going to be able to cut it in the NBA. We're a very physical league. A lot of GMs um, want to see that these guys can play through the bumps, can play through the physicality of our competition and, and not be intimidated if they're going to go and step foot on an NBA court. And that's where I think we give them a really, really good grooming. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. So the other aspect of it is coaching. 
right? I mean, we've seen coaching as well. And uh, I know I had a few people reach out to me and ask about from coaching perspective, um, you know, what the NBL, what's the standard like, where's the league going? And we've seen it, obviously, Will Weaver's come over here from the G League to the NBL, now found success in the NBA. Chase Buford, a guy that, that I know from back in Milwaukee, and now he's out there. So it feels, it, it, I don't think it should be looked over that the coaching aspect feels like it's taken a turn the last few years again. And that's no disrespect to any Australian coaches. We've got great local coaches, but it, it feels like a big deal. Well, it's going both directions again as well. And you see right. um, Matt Nielsen after yeah, a, yeah. A, a good stint in the NBA now, uh, sorry, in the NBL. Uh, he's been in the NBA now for a few years. Trevor Gleeson heading over to an assistant coaching role in the NBA this offseason as well. And that's what we want. We want to be part of a cohesive whole. I alluded to it at the beginning. We're part of a global basketball industry. And um, as long as we play an important part of it, uh, then that will necessitate people coming and going in both directions. And that's exactly what we want. Uh, I have no qualms about our best players going to the NBA. That's a fantastic story for us. And it demonstrates that we are, you know, the next best thing. That's okay from my point of view. I'm not insecure about the fact that a, a league that's been around a lot longer than us um, and that has a salary cap, you know, that's a hundred times what our salary cap is, that they're a little bit better than us. That's, that's okay. I'm cool with that. Um, same is true of our coaches. If they go and get some experience in the NBA, um, best of luck to them. I hope one day they return here and bring it back to the NBL. Uh, you've seen coaches like Brian Gorgian go and spend a good amount of time, um, make a really good living in parts of the world like China, and then bring that expertise and experience back to the league for a second time. It's all part of the, the grand cycle. And uh, as I said, as long as we're at the top of the tree along with the NBA, I think it's going to result in us getting some really good people on a consistent basis. What about the NBL Cup? Uh, you mentioned the next stars and it was funny that you sort of mentioned the, the it feels like what was the ripple effect that came from that. The NBL Cup is interesting and it's not like the NBA haven't been talking about an in-season tournament before that because they have, but we see that that's still on the agenda. We saw the WNBA had the Commissioner's Cup as well. These in-season tournaments, it feels like all leagues around the world are trying to find ways in the middle of the regular season to spice things up a little bit. How, how do you look back on that? Um, well, look, the, the fact that there's a, an NBA Cup coming, that is an in-season tournament uh, where the games count towards the regular season. I guess it's a little bit of a nod that it was a good idea. <laughs> now, it, it, I'm not going to take all the credit for it because it was basically born out of necessity in our instance. Um, and look, we, we thought it was a huge success in serving the purpose that it did last year in a very much COVID-affected season. Uh, and it was essentially a, an insurance policy to build a buffer of games in the event that the unforeseen happened and the season was cut short. Um, and I think in retrospect, while it was a great success and Victorian government were an amazing partner in terms of being able to host 36 games in 30 days uh, at a single venue, um, huge effort at the same time, too much basketball in one place in, in a very short amount of time. So the concept is great, but I would want to revisit it in future years in terms of how we maximise the opportunity and, and potentially spread it over multiple markets, um, potentially shorter in time, maybe break it up over a couple of different uh, periods during the year. There's all manner of different forms that it could take. It's probably going to be a challenge to do it again this coming season, given that all the parameters around travel uh, and congregating are still so unknown. Um, but it's very much on the table as something that we're continuing to consider for how we make it a, a long-term future asset. 
Yeah, it was hard to believe that we had so much sport here in Melbourne after having nothing for so long. The Australian Open was was just before that as well, and still at the end, you're like, "Geez, this was this was a lot of a lot of basketball in in one city." It was kind of a kind of a weird yeah. feeling. Tasmania. This is a, go. Sorry, I was going to say it was fantastic from my point of view, and I can right. tell you the hardcore basketball fans in Melbourne loved it, but. I think it, it left those around the country uh, licking their lips a little bit, <laughs> feeling a, a bit left out. But uh, uh, it was a great TV product. Um, but certainly we'd like to see how we can take it to more people um, more often. Yeah, speaking about trying to get this season underway and you spoke about wanting to start with crowds, I, I imagine, and it's for all teams, but certainly for Tasmania coming into the league, um, it, you know, these, these guys and those fans down there are going to be going to be thirsty for basketball. And, and we know we've seen it in the news all season long. Tasmania is desperate for a pro sports team. So for the NBL to be able to be the, the league to, to get that done, I, I, what's, what's the expectations and what's the excitement level for bringing Tasmania into the league? Look, the expectations that they're placing on themselves are really high. And I know Scott Roth has put together what he thinks is a, a really competitive the season uh, team for this season and uh, all credit to him he, he got it done pretty quickly too and they're, um, they're off to an incredible start too in terms of their membership numbers for the year and I think that stadium will be uh, ready in time for the early stage of the season and, and packed to the brim I would expect because you know the Jack Jumpers is the brand on everyone's lips down there at the moment and for really good reason uh, they've got a really exciting young next star in Nikita Mikulovsky. I think people will be flooding in because I think his stocks will rise considerably during the course of this season. I think he's going to get a great opportunity there as well uh, under Coach Roth. So, look, we want basketball to be the number one sport in Tasmania and, and the Jack Jumpers have already done a power of work in achieving that goal. What have you guys learned in the league in general, I guess, because obviously it was only two seasons in for South East Melbourne and it's, it's been interesting talking to those guys just because I don't think that anyone could have predicted that their first two seasons in the league were going to have to navigate all the things they did. But in terms of bringing in a new franchise who um, certainly, again, from the outside, looks like it's been a, a pretty successful initiation for the Phoenix in Melbourne, did you, did you learn anything from them and, and have been able to, to help with Tasmania to keep, get them rolling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that firstly, I would agree with you that they've been off to an absolute flyer of a start and they've broken virtually every record for uh, an expansion team in the NBL in terms of success on and off court. So huge credit to to uh, Tommy Greer and, and his ownership team led by Roman Chowdhury, a cohort of NBA stars who we know are all minority owners there as well. And they've done a brilliant job. And one of the reasons is they've built themselves into the, the fabric of the community. They're a community first basketball club um, and that isn't just reflective of where they happen to train that's reflective of their approach to the role that they play in the society in which they live and the way that they play their basketball you know they're they're very um, you know they're, they're blue collar in their mentality roll our sleeves up get the job done go to work uh, and I think that resonates really well with where they're situated and I think you've got in Simon Brookhouse in Tasmania, a fantastic administrator who's going to be applying those same sorts of learnings to making the jack jumpers part of the fabric of the Tasmanian community. And, and it is a team for all of Tasmania. It's um, going to be playing the majority of its games out of Hobart, but it will be playing elsewhere around the state. They'll be traveling around the state from a community point of view, regardless of where they're playing their games. And they're very conscious of the fact that they're there to represent the state of Tasmania um, and that they're, they're building front office, back office, and a team that are, are going to do just that. 
So the last one I have for you is about the broadcast deal. And clearly I'm excited, you know, writing for ESPN. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good deal for the league. And you mentioned earlier about some of the social media platforms in China. And I know you had great success with Twitch and streaming games. That's how I was watching games when I was still in the US. Right. And um, what, what do you see this broadcast deal really meaning for the league? And then, and then where can you go from there? Because I think the introduction back to free to air as well has been it's, it's like going back in the in the time machine to the 90s and, and watching on, on channel 10 but it, it has right. been a, a a a fast growth it feels like yeah it has and um well you know at times it felt like a, a it could have been faster but right, right. uh no, we're, we're our seventh season with our feet under the desk this coming season and um to get to this point uh is critical because it's not just a broadcast deal, it's a media deal. And that was very important that um, you know, th this conversation very much started and the linchpin to it was ESPN and, and Disney. Uh, but then for them to be willing to bring uh, Foxtel and KO into the fold uh, to ensure that we had the growth under us of the, the KO platform, by far the fastest sports streaming platform in the country at the moment, uh, was really important, but then also um, bringing News Corp Australia into that triumvirate. And as a result, not just the live broadcast component being ticked with ESPN, who is no doubt the home of basketball in Australia, but also globally, being on the same broadcast network as the NCAA and the NBA and the NBL right there alongside, but then also making sure that they're all spoken about at the same time from an editorial point of view and most of the major mastheads around the country and all of the websites that go along with that. Uh, that was a really important initial build, having that um, real tripartite media partnership to ensure that fans will get coverage and access like they've never had before. And then, of course, subsequently bringing Channel 10 back on board, as you say, it's, it's uh, reminiscent of the previous golden era of the NBL. And that's how we think of this, is the new golden era of the NBL. We're on the, the biggest and best platforms and we're, we're doing everything we can to make the NBL accessible where fans are wanting to access it. Um, so we're, we're really, really excited about the kind of engagement we're going to be able to provide to our fans this year. Yeah, Steve Quartermain, is he, uh, is he diving back into it? That's all I remember when I think about the NBL back in the 90s. It's very, very true. And um, I don't know what he's up to these days, but I'm very <laughs> keen to find out because it, there, was a, there was a period of time where... Um, when you first forge a new era or a new brand, you need to put a bit of an air gap um, between what came before. Uh, and now um, everyone is really reminiscent about those old days and having Stephen Quartermain back around the place would be a, a great outcome. Wouldn't it? So as we wrap this up, we come back to the start. So again, I know you said that everything's up in the air and you're going to be working through. So in terms of, is there a time where you feel like you, you have to make a decision uh, on the start of the season? And I only ask that. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, but we're about to enter into October here. Yeah, absolutely. And we're always reverse engineering those timeframes to decide yeah. when, we, when we announce a start date, when we um, publish a schedule and trying to do so in a way that gives um, teams and players as much certainty as possible, but at the same time retains sufficient flexibility to be able to react to whatever change comes next and whilst you're always trying to be proactive and we're always trying to guess what government's next steps will be 
their behaviours have changed over the course of the last two years as well. And so it's all very unpredictable. But um, look, I, I don't think it's the too distant future before we'll see a, a schedule put out there. You know, you, you would like to think that in the next three or four weeks, there'd be a, a schedule out about, but I think everyone is conscious of the fact that you publish that schedule and then you you wait for it to change. And all we're doing is hoping that it will be as resilient as possible by that stage. And um, certainly we will be resilient and flexible and we will change it as we need to during the course of the season. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not flexible in this kind of, in these kinds of conditions, then you break. So um, we'll put one out there and then we'll wait for it to change. Yeah. Yeah. I've become pretty used to asking the questions that are actually physically impossible to answer. So I've become pretty used to answering them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, you did a decent job. But uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Like I said, um, I know, I know there's, yeah, I know there's, there's a lot going on, but um, the one thing for sure is that everyone's excited and everyone can't wait for the season to get going. So Jeremy, um, thanks again, mate. No, absolute pleasure, Kane. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your time and thanks for your interest. 